Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Corey. And Nico Domus. Nice. Nico Domus. <laughs> uh, should I be concerned for your health, Dom? <laughs> well, you've always known I've had a very, like, thin figure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. covered in robes with glowing eyes. Yeah, and I mean, I have known for a long time that you are just a talking rat pretending to be a human. I'm sorry, not just a talking rat. (laughs) 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 No, I I mean, as a fellow human, you know, I've always been very um, hairless and upright Mm -hmm. all the time. I've Mm -hmm. always personally admired your gnarled, warty fingers. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) Thank you. You know. <laughs> You're too much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the sideways stories from Wayside School books very well? Not very well. As like weird half dreams. <laughs> I mean, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> One of the running jokes in that series is a dead rat, like finding a dead rat somewhere oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah. And Why? there's one story. I, there's no reason. <laughs> there's one story where... A new student comes to the classroom, and they're covered in, like, you know, a big heavy coat. And, like, the teacher makes them take off the coat, and it's just layers upon layers of coat. And in the middle is a dead rat. I remember (laughs) this. Oh, my God. And if that's not some horrifying dreamscape, I don't know what is. Well, like, you know, I'm gone. It it was weird because I think I never read those in order. I think they're... There was some order to them, right? Some continuity? There was. And, you know, it's important for the running jokes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, like like the, the one book where they actually went to class on, like, what was that, the 413 or something? Uh-huh. Right. Well, <laughs> there is no 13th story, so I don't know what you're remembering. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was one book where they there was one for, like, that book, and it was freaky. <laughs> right, but it was also some sort of bizarre purgatory that, like, was inescapable and and forever and it was very creepy yeah. uh, i believe i covered that with freaky so yeah <laughs> i had completely forgotten about those stories and this is actually pretty topical because the fan fiction we're about to discuss i have the same reaction i had the same reaction to the the movie uh the rats of nim as i did to some of those stories which is like sort of this weird remembrance of childhood horror that makes you keep coming back to it yeah <laughs> yeah now, I have seen The Secret of Nim as an adult, and mm-hmm. it was still some years ago, but like, I don't know, five, no, it would have been like seven years ago, probably. Um, but, you know, when you watch it as an adult, you rem- a lot of it is just like, oh yeah, I remember, like, this, this is familiar, because all these different sequences just insert themselves into your mind and never leave. Yeah, like the scene where they the the rats are transforming after they're given the injection, that just stuck in my childhood brain. And it was like even when I didn't remember what the movie was, because I watched it when I was really young. Then you know I got a little bit older, like maybe ten, and I was like, "What's that movie with the crazy rat transforming <laughs> sequence?" And my parents told me, and I watched it again, and so it became a favorite of mine. But like. At the time, I only had this, like, brief young childhood horror memory of transforming rats. Yeah, I had that with all of the owl scenes, I think. Yes, the owl, too. 
the owl and even just the scene where she meets Nicodemus and he mm -hmm. talks to her and like gives her the stone and stuff. It's not that anything dramatic happens there. It's just that like the framing and the animation and like the, the creepy vibe and, you know, his like glowing white eyes and all that kind of thing. So I just rewatched the movie two days ago. It's mm -hmm. one of my Me favorite too. movies. Yeah. So why not? <laughs> um, there, <laughs> There's so many freaky parts, but there is a scene when she's going to visit the owl and you just see these like hairy little limbs sticking out. And all of a sudden it is the most grotesque spider you've ever seen just like crawling along. And, you know, I'm afraid of spiders, but it's also bigger than Mrs. Brisby is. And I thought about how big that spider actually would be. Then the owl just clamps its foot down and completely crushes the spider in this pile of guts. And it mm -hmm. is grotesque. Huh. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> it's a grotesque <laughs> children's movie. Well, you two prepared by watching the movie. Mm -hmm. I prepared by going to a different and I'm, you know, should probably say more authoritative source, which is the comic adaptation of Secret of Nim put out in 1982. Full color. Um, by Golden Books, it looks like. Golden now, is that is that based off the movie, or is that based off of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim? It's based off the movie. It's just right. a comic adaptation of the movie. Really? So, when you did... know, if you wanted to see Secret of Nim, but without, like, the animation, then this mm. comic <laughs> adaptation is here for you. Hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, same year the movie came out. Yep, yep. Time. Also, did you know there's a sequel? I did yep. know there was a sequel. I did Timmy know. to the Rescue. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it. Was it based on this fanfic? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, no. I guess it could have been. He does have glasses in the sequel, mm -hmm. as far as I know, because all I saw was the cover art. But I thought about subjecting myself to that, but I'm glad I forgot. <laughs> it was direct-to-video, 1998. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw some, you know, internet video review of it or whatever. But before we get deep into this anything else we want to say about our uh secret of nim experience or relationship dom you haven't really had a chance i think we've covered the idea of it it was a movie i saw when i was young i'm not sure if we had it or not but it was always there in the back of the brain and i, I don't know if it might be the reason i'm, I'm kind of part like low-key obsessed with um don bluth movies just mm, like I mean, the way like the way the things moved in that movie just always stuck with me as important. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. Like you watch it. And even as a kid, even if you're not conscious of like the animation as a thing, the way the movie looks and it's not the character design either. It's, it's, you're right. The movement, right? Mm -hmm. It's the movement and the fluidity and such. Yeah. So and it definitely sticks in, overall a more positive way than something like Rockadoodle where you're just like did I watch that? <laughs> Rockadoodle? I don't know what that is. What the fuck is, is that? <laughs> Isn't that Don Bluth? I, I don't know. we had a discussion a while ago where like, I mentioned Don Bluth and you're like oh yeah this 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 movie. I'm like no those are all not things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's Don Bluth. Okay. Okay. I would say you should watch it, but I don't want to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Difference between you and me, but all right. <laughs> yeah, Rockadoodle, right after um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, but before Thumbelina. I can't, yeah, I missed it somehow. 
I love yeah, all dogs just, go to heaven. What are we going to do in all dogs go to heaven fan fiction? I mean, I'll look. I mean, one of the things about this project is that I keep looking into new, you know, sources for fan fiction. And it's like, sometimes I turn up nothing and other times it's like, oh yeah, Secret of Nim, here's like the old well-regarded Secret of Nim story. There is one. It's a novel, you know. Yeah. Um, and it just makes it very easy for me. So, you know, I, I'm rolling a die each time and, you know, it, maybe there is a All Dogs Go to Heaven like fanfic that <laughs> the All Dogs Go to Heaven fans, you know, think well of that came out in like, you know, 2002 or whatever. Who knows? You know, Did, fair like all dogs go to heaven and secret nim are both movies that are are really popular you know like with people around our age and a little older Mm -hmm. well the fanfic for today is called the rats of thorn valley it was written by paul gibbs and according to the archivist's note it was the first piece of fan fiction on this secret of nim fan site called thornvalley.com you can still find it at thornvalley.com. Uh, the first piece up in there, it was a favorite back then, they say, and probably will remain one today. And the uh, webmaster's note also says that the author, Paul Gibbs, died suddenly in January 2002, but his family specifically gave permission for the uh, webmaster to keep this fanfic up on the website. So that's very nice. Thank you, Paul Gibbs and family. And this fanfic is, it's just a straight up Secret of Nim sequel. Um, and you can, just looking at like the very top of the site here, you can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfrrats. Um, you can tell that it had some popularity because like the first thing you see is a fan movie poster. Which doesn't look bad. Art by somebody else, Lord Dirk. Oh. Yeah, oh. I said to the... Uh... As the uh, cover to my EPUB, that was always fun to look at. Mm-hmm. I did not even notice that was there. It is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it gets that kind of, like, movie poster feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spoiling the very climatic moment of the book, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a movie poster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although, I liked having this image of the scientist going into it, because this was very... I mean, like, I'm not sure what I would have imagined if I just read it, but, like, the description fits very well with how, how this guy looks. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I didn't look at this until... I didn't really look at it until after the fanfic either. And other than the scientist guy, I appreciated a couple of the rats. Um, like, there's one who's describing the fanfic as just being, like, having this really burly upper body. And so, you know, <laughs> seeing that drawn in, like, the kind of Don Bluth Secret of Nim art style, I'm like, oh yeah, that's one, you know freaking jacked rat there that is a yeah. really jacked rat <laughs> that's a two jacked rat i think but yeah uh i appreciate seeing the interpretations of some of those characters <laughs> okay so the rats of thorn valley shall we jump into it sure it's got a couple of plot lines and the first one and one that continues for a large part of this um, what is it, like 90,000 word novel? It's about 270 pages. Yeah. Has to do with Mrs. Brisby's kind of um, insecurities. And she's given a name here, Elizabeth, which is the name of her voice actress, right? Oh. I think. 
something like that. I think he's only just Ms. Brisby in the movie, right? Yeah, Mrs. Brisby. Yeah. And so her kids are getting older, and, you know, she's single parenting, and she's kind of conscious of the fact that they have, they have inherited these, like, genetically modified, we are extra smart genes that she does not have. And that's got to be a weird place to be in as a parent. And, like, as a parent, I, like, I thought it was neat that the author kind of spends a lot of time in her brain and kind of with her anxiety over, like, are my kids going to need me? Are they going to, like, you know... I mean, obviously, the kids are supposed to, like, outgrow you at some point anyway, but, like, what form is that going to take? Do they respect me? Would they respect my husband more if he was around, which he's not, because he's very Mm -hmm. dead? You know, all that kind of stuff. It was... When I was reading it, I was like, this is a central conflict that I'm not, of a sort that I'm not used to seeing in a work of fiction. And I just kind of appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. It's something that it's the, has in common with the original stories in the movie adaptation is that like, this is really just a story about a mother trying to take care of her kids. So mm-hmm. I actually really appreciated that even though the kids are older, like some of them, Martin and Teresa are closer to... Or is it Teresa or Teresa? I don't remember. But um, they're closer to being teenagers. It's still focused on her struggle as a single yeah. mom. The kids are kind of, for the most part, given enough individualization to kind of like support the struggle of parenting, but it is like not about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit about Martin, but you know, they're not the main characters. And also, she's which is good. Yeah, and then she's also had this huge conflict about the NIM formula makes them live longer. So she's really worried she's going to die before her kids are like full grown too. <laughs> really That's stressful. True too. Well, let's talk about the NIM formula. Cause it's kind of an elephant in the room, right? This fanfic inherits something that bothers me from, you know, secret of NIM, the secret of NIM inherited from the original book, which is just that the, the, the main point is supposed to be that, like, oh, these, you know, experiments on the rats and mice at NIM gave them human intelligence. Right? Gave them advanced intelligence. Ad- right. Advanced intelligence. Yeah. But, like, all the animals seem pretty friggin' smart. You know, it, it's supposed to be, like, a a thing that, you know, like, Ms. Brisby does not have enhanced intelligence. She still sews, you know? She still, like, understands everything it's not like a watership down thing where like the unenhanced animals kind of have personalities but but act like a normal animal she does not act like a normal animal she wears clothes you know the mole next door wears clothes like you know you can like all the animals are human intelligent what what it seems to come down to is that like the nim enhanced people can read fluently or like have the ability to learn to read fluently that's all i can see that like seems to be inherently like kind of a a lock on other animals but also they're engineers like they engineer a lot more machines yeah Yeah, okay are are able to um invent and innovate and you know engineer and write and read like it doesn't suggest that the other animals can't do anything it's just that the rats are better at everything yeah. Okay, I, I get it. It's just kind of like, you'd think there would be a kind of starker line given than appears in the world. They I don't had, think that would um, come off well in a cartoon. Right. Yeah, they had to personify Mrs. 
Frisbee, Brisbee, whatever. I don't know why they changed that. Enough. Because they were concerned about the copyright overlap with the Frisbee flying disc. Oh, that has to be it. How no, that, that is a, it. That's really? a stupid reason. It's not even yeah. spelled the same. Also, isn't no. like Frisbee a, a real last name? or Probably. Like, I don't know. Anyway. I think Frisbee is too, though. Well, yeah, but it, it, I don't think it's copyrighted. No, you wouldn't think they had to do that, but I think that's why they did it. Weird. Well, I'm definitely calling my next character Mr. Cushball. (laughs) (laughs) I approve. Launch things, yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, what I'm getting at is just that, other than that kind of bugging me a little bit, I think it's a smart move of this story to put a lot of emphasis on the other known effect of the NIM testing formula, which is the extended lifespan. Uh-huh. Yeah, in the movie, I mean, like I was trying to re- remember what the movie was like before I went back and watched it, but when I went back and watched it, I noticed it was just like w- just one day. Yeah. Right. And like in my mind, it was longer and bigger than that, but no, it was just one day and they dropped a lot of facts that would have. And some of this is like fridge logic that you'd be thinking about and that would have more impact than they alluded to initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very much a kid's movie. I had the same feeling going back to it as I was like, this, the scope of this story. I mean, I also read the books, but like I've seen the movie way more times. I think I read the books once, but it's like the scope of what they're telling is actually really condensed and it's not actually that much information. For instance, what the heck is up with the amulet? Well, Where does yeah. that come from? <laughs> According to the Wikipedia article on adaptions, the mystical element in the amulet was completely added in by the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, I knew that. And the yeah, character generators made a villain who was still present as opposed to a character that was left before the story started. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Which was mostly what the movie was about, was like, Besides the Brisbee stuff, it was all about Jenner and the magic for some reason. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that was weird and kind of sloppy. And, like, going back and watching it as an adult, thinking about, like, story structure, it's like, I, I guess they they teased it at the beginning and they had it in the middle and they used it at the end. But what, what the fuck was it? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it's set up, but it has no connection to anything else in the setting or plot. Yeah. See... That's the reason it bugs me is because you already got this info dump on the super intelligent rats in these experiments done by the National Institute of Mental Health. What? And you get very little information on that. And then you've got amulet on top of that, which is associated with these super intelligent rats, but doesn't seem to be related to any of their crazy medical enhancements. So it seems really weird. None of it is even associated with the rats. The rats have it and they use it, but there's mm-hmm. no real real association there. But, but like, if you watch the movie, you would think there was, you know, because it's like they're already, you know, like, especially for a kid, they're already, like, super intelligent. There's already something weird going on with them, so the amulet must be related to that. But no, it's yeah. not, I guess. <laughs> it should have been, like, we received intelligence, longer life, and magic powers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Just sum it up. Well, going back to the fanfic, so in the Brisby home, there's kind of this sense that especially the older kids are sort of chafing against the field mouse lifestyle um, that, you know, especially since they know that, like, there's all these, these intelligent rats out there that, you know, have a community in Thorn Valley and, like, they know 
more about their father who, you know, died when they were younger. And so they, you know, the kids kind of all have to varying degrees this urge to like um, connect with their father and or their heritage and or their capabilities through the rats. And is it the oldest kid who ends up like um, sending a message to them? I think it was Timmy. I was going to say Jimmy. It's Timmy. But little Timmy. I was going to say Jimmy because there's like 60 million J names in here. Mm-hmm. There are a lot <laughs> of J names. There's names too. There's <laughs> Timmy and Thomas and Teresa and yeah. um, probably more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Timothy sends a message through Jeremy, who is still in, you know, a friend of the family, mm-hmm. and who, um, who tracks down Thorn Valley, where the rats moved, and sends them a message. And the message is jarbled because um, he sent it orally through Jeremy. Did you say but jarbled? He said jarbled. jarbled. Yeah. Yeah. Gar- garbled? I know what I said. Okay, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm willing to yes and that. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. But they also did send a uh, letter tied to the leg to be more um, complete than an oral transcript. I thought Justin sent a letter back. Um, like he has to. He sends a letter back because he has trouble getting the message out of Jeremy. No, he but... said he didn't trust Jeremy to have the whole message, so he tied it to his leg which is fair yeah justin did i i can't remember which one is which the giant rat <laughs> yes the rat does yes yeah, yeah the rat met with the crow and in order to get the message back to the field mice they tied a message to the to the crow's leg and yeah which that, is that, basically like hey i'm like thanks so much for getting in touch with us you know you're our savior like we want you to visit in fact Please, like, visit for a long time, see our community, stay for at least a month, like we Mm -hmm. insist. And when that gets back to, you know, Ms. Brisby, like, the kids are all super stoked for this. And, you know, she has no good reason to say no, of course, even though she has a lot of anxiety about, like, how she'll be treated by the rats, you know, what, you know, she wasn't treated super well the first time she went to the council room. And also she has this kind of, like, inferiority complex brewing a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, also it's just kind of, like, scary to do unknown trips. And, you know, there's a lot of yeah. stuff going on in her mind kind of in different directions. It's kind of funny, though, because the rats, like, did a lot for her the first time around. Only Jenner was yes. a dick. Well, yes. the council was a dick, too. Mm. The council were also mostly dicks, at least at first. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, yeah. also it did end in bloodshed. You know, it was a very yeah. stressful day. Stressful. It's not all positive yeah. memories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she accepts and they, you know they head off to Thorn Valley for that visit. Now, our other viewpoint character is Justin, who is the leader of the community now. He's, you know, the um, leading man rat in the movie. The tall, charming mm-hmm. rat for the movie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one who gets to be in a sword fight and win, question mark, sort of, not die anyway. Yeah. I mean, they, they won the sword fight, but they just threw their sword away afterwards. That's not <laughs> not a good idea. Right. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, so, then Mrs. Brisby had to save him. So, you know, there's a thing. Yeah. And so the, the middle part of the story, and it's a long story. It's, like I said, novel length. And a large portion of the middle part of it in this plot thread is... 
Mrs. Brisby and her kids being introduced to the community, and the author spends a lot of time describing the community in lots of different ways. You know, the the spaces that they've constructed and, you know, the the jobs that exist there and kind of like how the community operates and all these different things. And so we, the reader, are introduced to that. The, the mice are introduced to it and kind of find ways to settle in or connect with it in different ways. Anyone, anything you want to hone in on there in that plot thread? I do want to say that it's interesting how much like the various technologies can just kind of show up in a visual medium like in the movie and just be like oh yes that's electricity oh yeah that's cool and how much time it takes to explain every detail in this probably why it's a novel length thing (laughs) but i like you know they they introduce them to the hole of thorn valley which is dug in tunnels underground and yeah other than a few elements that are above ground like they've got a sports field (laughs) Yeah, they got a sports field, they've got like a track, they've got a, a mess hall, they have, every room has a window to the outside, even though they've tunneled underground. They do meticulous detail in explaining like, basically how beautiful this new society they've set up is, and it's pretty cool. It scratches a certain itch that I'm not sure has been scratched in my reading since I read The Hobbit as a kid, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Bag End sounds sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that like communal a... agrarian society sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, but somehow making it like mostly into the side of a hill also just like, I don't know, it's so satisfying. I wish my house was in the side of a hill. House I grew up in kind of was almost. Yeah. yeah. Very steep driveway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's just appealing in, in some ways, even though. I could see one complain that perhaps too much time is spent on that sort of thing. I really I like that. it, honestly. <laughs> I liked it too personally. I just can kind of, you know, see an objective critic not liking it mm-hmm. as much as I did. And um, obviously it's a big deal in different ways for the kids to have socializing opportunities because they didn't have a whole lot of field mouse friends, you know, being kind of different from the other, you know, mice around in the area that are implicitly there. Um, but, like, Timothy makes friends with a another, like, book smart rat kid his age. Mm-hmm. Yes. This, this, this throwaway comment by the author that that was, like, unbeknownst <laughs> to anyone else looking, the fulfillment of some prophecy, or, like, the start of some fulfillment of a prophecy, and I was like, What? <laughs> That leads me to a question. Is there more in this series, or is this a standalone thing? I didn't look into it at all, but there's gotta be, right? I actually thought that comment was an yeah. allusion to what ends up being the fact that Jonathan and I think Robert is the kid's name, his father Arthur, were like such good friends. I don't know. No. No, I, I just mm. you know clicked on the hyperlink of the author's name, and there are two complete oh. stories in this continuity. Oh. And a couple of unfinished works that the author, you know, did not complete. See, it sounded like a, like a seed to a trilogy or something. Yeah. 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 Well, around the time that friends are being made, I think kind of the thread of this is like, I just wanted to put this out as long as we're kind of in the same vein. The kids mm-hmm. are all kind of finding their places where they want to be. Like Timothy and Cynthia are going to school. And of course, Martin and Teresa get in trouble. 
But then Mrs. Brisby has a chance to finally be by herself in the first time since she lost her husband nine months ago and has had to be a single mom to these kids. And she's like kind of finding herself in that. Also, there's still a thing between her and Justin, but it's not yeah, and that, turning into a much. A lot of space is spent on that too. It's not usually like the foreground thing that's happening, but definitely like there's a romantic spark being kindled throughout both of them. And, you know, she's kind of initially thinking in her, in her way, it's like, oh, you can tell me so much more about my husband that I never knew. And um, he's like, oh, she's, you know, the wife of my best friend and we all owe so much to her. But like, it's not like they're repressing their romantic feelings too hard either. Yeah. They, it comes out. I mean, it's obvious in the film. It's obvious here. We get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny, like, when when characters mention other characters as being attractive, it's like, oh, yes, she's, you know, clearly a very attractive mouse. Or it's like, you know, oh, you know, Justin is, Justin is so attractive. And, like, all the women in the community are in love with him. And I'm, like, looking at their character designs, I'm like, sure. I mean, uh, I am neither a rat nor a mouse, so, like, I'll just take your word for it. It goes even further than that. It's like their muscles rippling under their sleek, dark fur. And you're just like, eh? It's also funny how, like, there's there's this, like, sexualization of nudity going on a little bit. Yeah, even and, they're all naked all the time. Well, no, they're, but they're not. They're just, like, kind of, even though there's no standard clothing, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's a little bit embarrassing if Miss Frisbee takes off her cloak because, like, complete nudity is a little bit, like, frowned on or not, you know, not comfortable in the Thorn Valley community. But, like, it doesn't matter whether she's wearing pants or, like, you know, a cape or, I don't know, presumably a hat. It's just, like, you've got to be wearing something. They do have a different different clothing standard there. Like, they expect expect you to be dressed. They'll look down on you. Or not look down on you, just look kind of raised eyebrows or not. But it's not as big taboo as in human society. Right. That was kind of fun headspace to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I did kind of like that, too, because it was, like, it doesn't matter what article of clothing it was. I like especially that they all wear, mostly wear shirts, but not pants. It's just, Mm. like, in their culture, like, shirts are more normal than pants. In our culture, it's, like, you can wear pants with a shirt. They can wear a shirt without pants. Whatever. They're rats. Go on. Live (laughs) your life. Um, And so there's that romance going on. There's Ms. Brisby um, also kind of... Um, right, you were saying she has, like, free time to herself for the first time, mm-hmm. but she's, it's mentioned, you know, several times this fanfic that, like, her whole life has been, you know, oriented around survival. She's not used to, like, taking it easy or sitting back. And so it's actually a lot more rewarding for her that she finds a job that she can help with in the community and, you know, insists that she helps with because they're supposed to be guests, but, like, she finds her way helping out in the kitchen and, you know, through that is kind of like making some social connections and feeling involved. I still, though, took that, you know, I like see my mom who like, you know, quit her job when I was born, you know, as a college professor, like stay home with kids for the rest of her life. I still sort of see my mom and, and Mrs. Brisby like she found independence through like volunteering with uh, Meals on Wheels and stuff like that, you know, like ways to get out of the house and not be around the kids, even mm-hmm. if there are other ways of serving the community or still ways of like a vehicle to our independence a little bit. And part of that is also with other responsible adults around and such, she 
gets to feel gradually more comfortable letting the kids kind of go off and be independent as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go so great on the first day for Martin and Teresa. <laughs> right. Well, they get in trouble, but of course they do. Um, it's not like deep plot causing trouble or anything like that. But it is mm. the way that she connects with uh, Arthur and Arthur's wife, whose name I forget. Yeah, it, that's another thing about exploring this community is that we're introduced to a lot of surviving members of what they call like the original 22, who are this kind of like pantheon of rats. And there's, which are, you know, the ones who were actually in Nim and got experimented on and escaped, right? And for one thing, they're the oldest, and so they tend to be real experts in something. For another thing, there's all these interesting little touches about the community where the rat, the, the, the Nim formula thing seems to stop you from aging past your maturity. And so the original 22, who were various ages when they were experimented on, are the only ones that, that show signs of aging because they stayed whatever age they were at when they were experimented on. I don't think that was it. I think they're just older. Like they just th- slowed down aging process. They mentioned in the beginning that um, young looking rats weren't as young as Mrs. Brisby thought because they had reached mm. age maturity and stayed young. But th- that's just opposed to rapidly, not rapidly, but aging at a normal rat rate. Okay. Well, maybe I misread it. Yeah. yeah um, I, I kind of was weirdly a little bit where you are too, Amato, based on what Dom was quoting was that the younger generation seemed to stop aging at a very young age, whereas the older generation stopped aging at a slightly older age. I don't... But they I, didn't, I think that's probably not what they meant, but that is how I interpreted it. Yeah, they didn't really say it stopped aging, it just didn't look older then. Like a... Yeah. Just, just think elves, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It was just a weird phrasing. Um, and so, you know, there's more we could talk about specifically there, but if we're going with the plot... I think maybe we can switch gears here. Well, we haven't talked about the other plot thread that's been going through. Yeah, right. which is fucking Jonathan Brisby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? So, you know, he's not dead. Wait, he what? He just faked his death. What? To his family. What? So he could go on a secret mission no. for like a year. That's As uh, field mice who live in a field will do. Yeah. Well, he, he was duck a, out nim, a, a nim mouse, so. Yeah, but, you know, uh, faking your own death in order to duck out the intense eyes of the uh, animals that live in the field community. <laughs> but that was a, what, Like your what family. Was his, his yes. reason, he was sent on the mission. He went on the mission because he wanted to bring back and isolate the nim gene. No, I can. To yes. provide it to his wife, right? Yeah, yeah. I can understand wanting to go on the mission. It's the faking your death part, which is. Oh, the yeah. weird conceit because like you can tell the author wanted jonathan to be in the story and that's fine and like the way I they guess. ended up using well it's fan fiction right yeah sure, right okay you, yes. you the author wanting and, that is fine yeah yes you have, you have concepts and characters you want, you want to work with um the conceit they did to do it was is not great maybe questionable but the Agreed. way they did end up executing the the character and like the characterization and how people reacted to it really, uh, really worked well, I think. Yes. Uh. Well, so here's the thing. He was freaking out about the fact that his wife was going to age and like, not he 
and he and his children would not or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and it kind of gnawed on his mind and like he, he made some bad decisions, which was like kind of insisting that he go on this long-term project for a few rats and in this case, m- mice, mouse, m- moose, hey, moose. <laughs> to infiltrate Nim and like live there and gather up whatever data they can on the stuff that was done to them. So that they can, you know, if they have that medical knowledge, they can, you know, hopefully work with that and do stuff. Hmm. And we find out at the end that kind of like one of the main things there is that he wants to be able to treat his wife with the same treatment that was done to him so that she can have the same kind of lifespan. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan ends up swiping some vials of chemical X to bring back home. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the whole point of their mission was to kind of discover the origin, I guess. But yeah, Jonathan's got his very personal reasons. And what I do like is there's a lot of relationship talk in this whole story, even mm-hmm. to the point where Jonathan eventually starts questioning whether he was overbearing with Elizabeth, which is Mrs. Brisby's first name. I don't know if you brought that up yet. <laughs> um, before, because, you know, he never thought he was, quote unquote, smarter in his the forefront of his mind, but maybe in the background he was kind of uh, you know, controlling in a way he didn't realize was or overprotective or etc. But he also yeah, gets w- to state that he never wanted to make her quote unquote more intelligent. He just didn't, he, he respected her like totally who she was. He just wanted her to be able to live as long as he would and their children would. Yeah. And I believe him on that. And, but I did like that, that, you know, the doubts were raised about like, was there kind of some paternalism in, you know, this mm-hmm. relationship with my mm-hmm. wife here? Because, like, I've got, you know, this, like, enhanced intelligence and she doesn't or whatever. Because they, like, uh, they talk about Elizabeth's backstory a little bit. And they mentioned that they married when Elizabeth was very young, right after her parents died. Mm-hmm. Yep. And went yeah. kind of straight straight from, you know, home to uh, married life. I gotta say, it's the most compelling part of this fan fiction, how much their characters and, like, relationships are explored very honestly. That Jonathan even questions himself about that is i don't know enlightened i think yeah i agree in in a lot of these it's kind of a defter touch with kind of the way human being uh, um in sapient beings kind of like think and operate and have relationships than i would have expected Mm -hmm. there was a nice moment if we're just talking about this um skipping to the end of the fanfic where like Mm -hmm. jonathan does come back and like uh Elizabeth is like passed out for a while and he, he get back, he goes back into the room and, and they're all tired and they're going to bed. And he's like, I shouldn't climb into the same bed as her because even though we were husband and wife for a while, uh, they don't know I exist and I, ha- I haven't been invited. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like this phrase, I haven't been invited. Which was super cool. And they end up just yeah. sleeping on the chair and that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's like definitely the obvious thing, but you know, for 1998 and or 1997 when was this written yeah uh people are more aware now it seems like the obvious thing but i like they pointed it out yeah it was refreshing to see i, I thought they yeah. were just going to ignore it and i was that was going to be something that was going to bug me in the back of my head but they addressed it and talked about it and did the right thing <laughs> totally i want to come back to that too because there's a lot of stuff that happens when they're reunited as husband mm-hmm. and wife but i guess we shouldn't go back to where we were I suppose so. So, uh, Jonathan Brisby, back when he faked his death, and I'm, I'm <laughs> emphasizing that because the author starts him in quite a deep hole, like, for me to be able to 
read about him without getting angry. Um, what was I saying? So he made people like Nicodemus and Justin promise not to tell anyone, mm-hmm. like his wife. Um, and you know, he also. yeah <laughs> doesn't know doesn't know if he'll be coming back alive. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it is kind of cool what's actually happening with him and the other four mice that are, you know, in Nim. Because they, like, it's this long-term spying mission where they have, like, you know, a base set up in the back of a broom closet that nobody, like, explores anymore. And they've been gathering scraps of data, um, you know, in any way that they can. You know, eavesdropping and, like, you know, going into the computers and stuff. They have a mouse that's good with computers along and it's 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 pretty cool. I also like the emphasis that like it's physically and emotionally really wearing on all of them to be living in this like ang- anxious war zone situation for months on end. Well, what they're doing is they're in deep cover in enemy territory, which is yeah, an intense like one of the most intense espionage situations you can be in. <laughs> I also felt like it was kind of a throwback to the scenes in the film where the rats are like trapped in the cages and then eventually figure out how to try to break free, you know, and and that's a very trying thing. And then finally they're smart enough to figure out the lock and read the words that basically say unlock this, this way. (laughs) Um, But this is them volunteering to like go back to that place. They were imprisoned and spy and live not in cages, but in a very similar way. They're drinking coffee and I think it's funny because John says the only thing he's going to miss is the coffee. But also they're just eating like donut scraps and top ramen, basically. Yeah. It was a very smart idea because like in an, an intelligent society where you know you're being tracked down by this organization or in this case specific person, it makes sense to just keep tabs on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. And when you say a specific person, the enemy here is Dr. Schultz, who is the the doctor who was in charge of their project and is kind of obsessed with finding them. And it's an interesting dynamic also between Dr. Schultz and like the organization (laughs) where the kind of, the, the, the undercover rats, you know, kind of discuss it later that it seems like his superiors are kind of letting him explore this in case he's right, but they're not, you know, officially sanctioning anything about it because that's ridiculous and they will look like idiots if they do. (laughs) I liked how they talked about it. It made a lot of sense to me where the bureaucracy, because they talk about how NIM is like a government-funded, maybe not Mm government-run project, but how they've been failing again and again and they spent the last of their cachet of uh, resources and credibility in order to uh, upper Earth, the Rosebush. And at that point, they're like, okay, you can keep going if you want, but we're not paying you. And also, if you fuck up, you're, you're cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it feels very realistic in a sense. Bureaucratic, like, yeah. <laughs> that's right, bureaucratic. It seems like a way an organization might choose to uh, preemptively shift blame and yeah. responsibility for this kind of thing. They're getting ready to uh, cut them loose, but in case it turn, turns out that every, that they have a great success, they could, it's still enough where they can bring them back into the fold. <laughs> yeah. And the external conflict here is that Dr. Schultz has, you know, thinking what an intelligent group of rats would do in the situations, like, well, they would set up, you know, they escaped, they would set up another community, they wouldn't do it on another farm, because that would be too risky of discovery, but they can't go that far because they are rats, 
And so, like, he's scoped out this kind of radius of, like, area that he wants to explore, and he's, you know, going to hire a private helicopter to explore, like, in, you know, concentric circles, this whole area from overhead looking for signs of the rats. And because he has a tendency to, like, talk on the phone in his office and, you know, spread things out on his desk, the spies can keep tabs on everything he's doing very well. And that also means they can see the map and be like, oh, yeah, he's, he's intending to fly right over where Thorn Valley actually is. They Looking picked, for signs of something like Thorn Valley. They picked the, the location for Thorn Valley, as it's explained earlier in the... I was going to say radio show. No, that's what we're doing now. We're doing podcast. Earlier in the fic. <laughs> as explained earlier in the fic, they picked that location because it's in a um, wilderness zone. So that prevents people from flying over it. So like, of course, you know, it's a safe place. They'll never find us. And then you cut back to the office. We're like, so obviously this wilderness zone is where they would go because that's a safe, safe place for them to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, he may be crazy, but he's smart. It's, I mean, it's fair and fair. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, but then it's kind of a frustrating part because the, the spies are kind of like, well, what can we do about it? And, the answer is basically not a lot for a lot of it, and they feel frustrated about it, and there's intergroup conflict. I'm not talking about the individual spy mice. It's okay. I mean, they are individuals, but I'm not going to get into that level of detail here. So there's this tension among the spy team about what they can do about the situation. And it's all very frustrating because like, it seems like they can't do very much. Because they're small rodents. I mean, one of them does pitch the idea of just friggin' murdering Dr. Schultz by dropping chemicals in his morning coffee. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad they went there, honestly. <laughs> yeah, someone needed to suggest that. Yeah. And the unconvincing counter-argument is that that would make us bad people. No, the real counter-argument was, at some point we're going to bump up against the edges of human society, and if they find out we've killed somebody, they won't even give us a chance. Yeah. That is the good argument, yes. Yeah. <laughs> is that, like, you know, when the humans do find out about them, which they expect to happen someday, they're going to look way the hell to their origins, and you know, some kind of obviously suspicious death like that would definitely come back to bite them in the long term yeah i i assume this takes place in america i can't, can't imagine a bunch of americans be like oh this is a new uh sentient race oh cool oh they killed somebody i'll oh, fuck them yeah yeah they nuke <laughs> them to the ground <laughs> unfortunately i mean with the creepiness of like they're small and they could be anywhere and you know we don't know how many of them are out there and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, we have this weirdness about rats too i like mm-hmm. rats like you know <laughs> They're cute. I'm neutral on most rodents. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have pet rats. They're super smart, and they can hi- hang out inside your shirt. They're fun. <laughs> By the way, on the subject of rodents, mm-hmm. half the time this author seems to be, you know, throwing in cute little details about, like, rat or mouse physiology. It's like, <clears throat> at the Thorn Valley cafeteria the meals all include hard grains which are important for keeping their teeth worn down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the other half the time they're like i had four kids because i went through childbirth four times and i'm like you are yeah. a mouse something here 
is very, very wrong. <laughs> but they also have a family that has 10 kids. And then I was like, that's more rat-like, right? Like, but you know, her reaction is like, I can't imagine going through childbirth 10 times. And I'm like, she didn't. She's a rat. Yeah, One of those was I twins know. anyways. <laughs> I always kind of assumed from the movie that she had... Well, I guess they're all different ages, aren't they? I think the only way you can assume is that most of her children are dead. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense with, like, actual mice. I'm willing to accept the NIM-modified mice and rats having different, you know, childbirth. But yeah, Mrs. Brisby is not one, so... Anyway, sorry, just a, a small aside. Uh, Google and says so, a litter of mice can be between 3 to 14, <laughs> young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Several Sounds times a year. right. <laughs> What they do is they make the ages relatively, like, the same, though, because her husband's only been missing for nine months, but mm-hmm. it's, like, enough time for her children to grow up, you know? And it's only been a month, I think, since the movie ended, and her kids are, well, like, now teenagers, so. Right. I mean, I think mice reach, you know, adult maturity in less time than that, but mm-hmm. you can chalk that up to nim genes. That's fine. Right. Um, and... Anyway, so so the spies there, they don't take any major action. After Dr. Schultz finds Thorn Valley, which he does, you know, by helicopter, mm-hmm. and he, like, gets down there and he takes some pictures and, you know, he has to... No, he takes aerial pictures. He doesn't have permission to land because it's a restricted area. Yeah, Dr. Schultz yeah. gets special permission to fly over it. Mm-hmm. He even has to, like, basically bribe a helicopter pilot to do it for that's, him. That, that's later. Oh, right. right. Later. First okay. time's complete legit. I uh, got right. permission to do one flyover of a protected wilderness area. That's right. What the spy team does do is take his, you know, old school camera and expose every single slide to light, both the ones <laughs> he used and the ones he didn't use. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we're not sure if that's helpful, but it's not not helpful. <laughs> I like how thorough they are about it, because, like, they take the rollout, they expose it to light, they put it back in, they punch the, the shutter so it shows the same... In- amount of pictures left and then they take the other two rolls out and they expose them both to light <laughs> yeah yeah and they got all night i almost kind of thing i almost forgotten that film cameras have like a number counter for the rolls yeah mm-hmm. indeed. yeah <laughs> i like that though because it's gonna make it so that they won't realize anything happened until way too late yeah deep cover spies know what they're doing <laughs> and the other thing they do is that Knowing that things are hitting the fan with Thorn Valley, they pull the trigger on, like, breaking into the doctor's safe and stealing the samples of the NIM formula. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, pack up all the information they've gathered because they're like, they, you know, we, we planned on being here longer and trying to ferret out a little bit more data, but, like, we've got enough. This is the time to pull out. Mm-hmm. And that means they can stow away on the helicopter to get back to Thorn Valley. And also a lot of little details about our spy team. Like, there's four of them. There's Jonathan. He's alive. There's a uh, hacker who she's also alive. Also alive. Um, but that, that's not their Philip. thing, though. Their thing is hacking. Yes. I, yeah. Um, and her isn't a hacker. She's the only female, so she's the twin sister of another rat that the family yeah. meets, named Judith, in Thorn Valley. Was Judith the um, mom? No, Judith is one of the daughters of um, Eileen and Arthur. No, Eileen is hacker. Right. 
What? Yeah. Oh, Eileen uh, is hacker. Um, then yeah. what's the name of Arthur's <laughs> wife? I keep getting That's there's what so I was many names. <laughs> so we're introduced to a lot of characters here, and I could really use a visual family tree at, at some point because, like, a lot of the characters they meet are the same, same or similar, fa- same family as some of the characters. Yeah. They're the older sisters, younger sisters, mothers, fathers, etc. Right. There's a lot of familial ties, which which comes together at the end. Um, so Arthur is the main engineer who's developed this whole society. He has a wife that Elizabeth becomes friends with, and I've forgotten her name, but she's the one who has 10 kids, including Robert, who Timothy becomes friends with, but also Judith, who has a, a twin sister who is missing and presumed dead, named Eileen, nicknamed Hacker, because she's <laughs> good at computers, mm-hmm. who is, I think, right? That's why she's named Hacker? Yeah, she hacks into the computer at NIM. Yeah, she's part of the mission. There's there's two other male rats. And I like, though, the detail they give. They have connections back home. They all miss home. But they're also all, like, skinny. And they their clothes are threadbare. But, like, Jonathan's the worst. And Eileen ends up spending a lot of time worrying about him. That he's, like, basically going to die because he's half the size he used to be. And he just looks, like, haunted all the time. Well, I spent a lot of time in deep depression, too. Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's an element of him not taking care of himself as well as being in this bad situation. Um, and oh, Mark the and plot's David int- are the other two. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to try to keep track of all these rats. Okay, it's sorry. A lot of rats. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I mean, you can, but I'm not. I'm trying. <laughs> and the rest. And all the other rats. And so the plots intersect in that, you know, when... Schultz does his first flyover, everyone's very aware of it at Thorn Valley, and they figure that, you know, he's going to be coming back probably quite soon. Um, and so they have to decide what to do about that. And they decide to hunker down, rely on the fact that he's probably going to try to, like, poison them out with gas like they did back at the stump mm-hmm. on the farm. But they have a filtration system, not filtration, um, air ventilation system in place that should actually protect them from the worst of that if they, like, you know, if they huddle deeper down in the complex and such. And it's just kind of, it doesn't seem like a good plan, but it's like the alternative is to scatter into the wilderness and their community would be lost forever. Mm -hmm. I still think that was probably the better plan, though. Well, it was the thought process, because the thought... Who, who was it? Who's in charge? Jonathan? He, no. Of the mission? Um, Justin. Justin. Oh, of thin. the community. Justin. Yeah. So Tall Rat's in charge, and their thought process is, like, if we scatter, we're not going to be able to find each other. We're not going to be able to protect each other, and our society, our, our community is probably not going to survive. Mm-hmm. So they figured just hunkering down and trying to weigh this out is the best chance of survival for their um race species culture at least yeah 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 and there definitely is the element that they like just escaped from some situation like this and laboriously rebuilt their community and you know established a sense of normalcy that's kind of starting to i mean they haven't even gotten a full crop in yet they just and like there's just not the cultural will to do something like that again the fact that they just escaped and just barely survived that yeah. And not just that, it's it, they weren't. It's not even a rebuilding of the community. They've been aiming to go to Thorn Valley all this time because they basically were like, 
this is where we're really going to thrive. So it's basically like their paradise, you know, it's the, the community that I've always dreamed of. Well, it's the move mm-hmm. to uh, self-reliance. Mm-hmm. Kids have kind of, they all love this community and they want to stay there, but Ms. Elizabeth gets kind of talked into them, them escaping out into the wilderness because she's perfectly capable of helping them survive in the wilderness for a while. That's kind of what she does. And the doctor is specifically not looking for mice. He's looking for rats. Um, and then, you know, they're going to, they would be met back in that area at the end of the month by their ride, Jeremy. And so like, that's kind of the plan, but they end up getting trapped in with the community because the, the back escape tunnel collapses, uh-huh. which is also what makes the plan a little bit riskier. They had a back escape tunnel, but you know, then they didn't. But they didn't make it structurally sound enough for a helicopter landing. Right. They were working on a lot of things. Uh-huh. Um, and that leads into kind of the climactic action sequence where uh, Dr. Schultz, you know, is down on the ground and like bringing out equipment and like he, you know, starts kind of like trying to smash through the, um, the, what would you call it? Just like barricade. main community area that he can identify very clearly. That they um, barricade or uh, make a giant plug for the main entrance of their community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in short order, Justin, who is kind of leading up the, like, holding the barricade effort, um, which is a very dangerous place to be, and I wasn't quite clear on the necessity of people manning the barricade. He wasn't manning the barricade. He was checking the barricade at the moment. Oh, checking the barricade. Okay. Yeah. He gets trapped under, you know, a a fallen, big, heavy piece of... Rock. Structure. Yeah. (laughs) A giant rock had been propped up. Thank you. (laughs) And here's where, you know, the fanfic kind of comes full circle with the movie, because it's like, oh, wait, yeah, we have a magic rock. That that can solve problems. And the author doesn't do it terribly because, you know, Miss Brisby is the one who uses it. She has the history using it. And she's better at using it this time than she was last time, which um, is, is nice. And there's still a little bit of, you know, drama there because, like, she uses it. She, you know, she rushes to Justin's side because he's kind of, like, asking for her, because he wants to tell her, by the way, your husband is alive, which, you know, the other rats don't know. Um, she uses the stone to heal him, and then she kind of is still in the power of the stone. She's like, I can do something about Dr. Schultz up there. Maybe I should just, you know, kill him. Yeah. Because it would be really easy to do that. She's, like, yeah. overwhelmed by this power, and this powerful lust for revenge. Yeah, luckily, well, I mean, it's Brisbane's- not even revenge as much as it is just, like, safety and, you know, like, it's threatening the lives of her and this community well, yeah, but, she's kind of half been adopted into and all that. But that's how it, they she's phrase a- it. She's angry. They, they, they how, do yeah. use that word, yeah. They to use the word revenge, okay. They use the word revenge a lot in this, and that's why well, what eventually she decides to do is important, because it's not driven by revenge or anger. But, anyway, yeah, what le- does she decide to do? Well, luckily, Mrs. Brisby manages to stave off the dark phoenix, phoenix attack and uh, do it the good way instead. <laughs> well, to mix all of our pieces of media, Nicodemus's Force Ghost kind of helps her out with it. So <laughs> oh, true that. Yeah. He appears to her, and he warns her against revenge. No, you're right, that revenge doesn't seem exactly like the right word, but I guess she blames Nim for the death of her husband and also for you uh, know, everything also that's for- happened to her, so... Well, also for a tall rat dying in front of her. 
Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, that too. Tall, tall rat. But Justin <laughs> is not dead because she mended his body with her superpower. But still, almost killing somebody you care about yeah. would warrant revenge. Yeah. Good no, point. you're right. Good point. Anyway, what she does is basically cloud their minds. Um, so I guess we're still in Star Wars here, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how they describe it, right? They just says that Brisby reached into their minds and then just told them to go home. These aren't mm-hmm. the, the rats you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, and while a- she was at it, she she planted a seed of doubt in Dr. Schultz's mind. Like, did I even see the stuff that I thought or am I just going like crazy and obsessed? Like the weird thing was she also planted a seed of anger in the pilot, <laughs> which is like, well, oh, that's yeah. was already there, right? Well, it could have been, but they said they planted the seed of anger in the pilot. <laughs> and that doesn't <laughs> seem like, like a real um, light side of the force thing to do, but whatever. No, <laughs> it was so that the pilot would be pissed off for being taken advantage of by yeah. Schultz. But yeah, I know I was a little bit confused about that too. I guess no, so. No, it says, I don't, I don't know. It says that seed was already there because he's been bribed to do this thing that he knows is wrong. It's like, you're taking full responsibility. Like, you sure? Like, I'm not going to get in trouble for this, whatever. But I, and so, like, he was already feeling a little, um, little resentful or like, like he was being kind of taken advantage of. And I in thought. the pilot's mind, she had found and nurtured a small seed. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. So it was there, but she just really juiced it up. I don't is, know why, right. though. Which is still seems dark side of the forest to me, but I agree. <laughs> uh, you know what the light side of the force is really good at doing? What's that? Wrecking droids. <laughs> Apparently. Or droids. Yeah. I remember from Kotor. Mm. Light side just hates droids. Yeah, it's actually like an <laughs> ongoing thing that people just fucking hate droids. I don't know why. Because they're basically just people but robots. Well that's the zombie thing, right? <laughs> is it I mean it's probably a similar psychological thing where you're fighting against a group of people or a group of things that don't seem human to you or don't seem personable I guess I mean like even Luke is rude to C-3PO it's like C-3PO does not deserve all that shit no anyway. in Star Wars world you should not yeah they're, they're sapient you're, you're being a jackass <laughs> Exactly. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. a jackass to droids. Anyway, moving on. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, but anyway, that's how that conflict ends. And then we've just got some falling action for quite some time. And that's where Jonathan Brisby is reunited with his family. And there, like you were saying, Tori, there's more to say about that. Yes. And one of the things is that I, I also like, in terms of like person relationships, his kids meet him before... Elizabeth does, because she's unconscious after using the stone for longer than the last time because she used it in a bigger way. But the younger kids are like, yay, dad's alive, I knew it, this is the best day ever. And the older kids are like angry and resentful and like, you know, hurt. And Mm -hmm. of course they are. Yeah, Yeah, of course. And I like that that's not even resolved. It's not, there's no path resolution there either. It's like, I think... Um, Teresa kind of reaches out to him a little bit more and what Martin is just like really angry with him and he's like oh yeah Yeah. I deserve that yeah Will Wheaton's still working through some stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's crazy that he played that character (laughs) I know right so like I feels like he's been around forever (laughs) I appreciated that Jonathan wasn't instantly forgiven by either Elizabeth or the older kids 
and it's understandable why the younger kids who barely knew him would just be glad their dad's back. But I do feel like this kind of happens. Justin gets to be a really good guy because it's basically not even a question. He says, I'll step aside for you, Jonathan. You're my old friend. You deserve to be with your wife. You know, Elizabeth's when she does wake up is like, Jonathan, I don't know if I can trust you. This is really messed up. Why would you say you were dead? And the only reason you can give is he says, I think it, I thought it would have been better if you thought I was dead because I didn't think I would be able to return anyway. And I didn't want you spending all that time worrying about me is right. What he says, basically that. Yeah. He also says like, I do not agree with me from nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah. He says he's changed, (laughs) but it's still like, what? Yeah. The, the setting aside of the romance between Ms. Brisby and, and Justin feels weird because they never ask Miss Brisby about it first. Like, yeah, Justin's just like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you have dibs. And, but it's like, of your romantic interests at the moment, Miss Brisby, one of them has deceived you much less. And so totally. I just want to throw that out there. I kind of thought I would end with her getting together with Justin, but letting Jonathan be involved in the children's lives. Mm-hmm. But eh, they end up back together. And I sort of get it. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't really know. Like, if they were going to bring Jonathan back, I'm glad there was a conflict and it wasn't just like, oh, you're home, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to work to forgive you. And that's at least somewhat responsible. And I get it because she has kids. But I also don't feel like, just like in the first film, I don't feel like this accounts for her feelings as much as it should. It's a little bit unearned because the last line of the fanfic and this is like, what, I don't know, a day later or something, is her telling him he's forgiven. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a little too easy, Jonathan. It was, yeah. Um, oh, and they decide to move into Thorn Valley and join the community, obviously, because, like, you know, that's culturally where the kids want to be and where they relate to, and it turns out, you know... <laughs> having a shared communal cool community all around you is more fun than living in a brick by yourself in the field. Well, actually, the main conflict of the fanfic was whether they weren't going to join the community or not. And at Mm -hmm. the end, it seems like a triumph they did. Anyway, Tom. Yeah, I had some things I wanted to say about the uh, relationship stuff, but y'all kind of went through it. I'm not sure we can... Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) No, say what you were going to say. No, I'd have to, like, reintroduce the subject. Huh. Well, do you do you have any significantly different angles there or, like, opinions? Are we uh, to- totally wrong? <laughs> what was your wrong opinions again? <laughs> See, I had more I wanted to say on it, too. I don't think we we're necessarily done with that thread. Okay. I mean, where we were at was kind of, like, the the bones of it make sense emotionally, but... Justin stepping aside romantically seems too easy. Jonathan being forgiven as quickly as he does by Elizabeth seems kind of too easy. Hmm. It was interesting because they spent a lot of time in the story building up the the romantic conflict. And they had it come to a head a little bit before that. Where, where like, Mrs. Brisby, like, made an advance on leading Man Rat. Mm-hmm. Oh. Then, like... And he's like... You can't love me for reasons that I cannot disclose. Yeah. 
and that was that, that's all well and good and like a uh, story base and much more like my japanese mangas <laughs> but they kind of quickly de-escalated i'm not quite sure why they the way they de-escalated didn't really feel weird to me considering the tone of the rest of the book where they like in the whole book they talk about like how things work and how the society would be set up so they there's always like a practical bent to everything so like the de- the the choice to de-escalate was weird but i think they did it in a practical way where the people involved would be like yeah i'm not gonna be a jackass about this let's just <laughs> let's just be cool yeah <laughs> let's move forward yeah i like that you put it that way because i mean that's what it feels like but it feels like kind of impotent if you know what i mean it's like yeah they built up to something and then it's just like never mind your husband's back maybe let down <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I was expecting something, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can put it the way I saw it, it just felt like it kind of took a swerve at like a 90 degree angle. It was like we were driving towards this Frisbee Justin thing and then Jonathan comes back and we're heading in a whole different emotional direction, <laughs> which is for learning to forgive him. And it kind of came out of the blue. Well, what I would expect is that continuing on the practical bent of this is that this would they would live there for a while and like five years later you would see the brisby's relationship be strained by this because they this would have been something that's always in the back of their mind that they haven't talked about it's right. like it's like when they've had too much wine this is what, what they would argue about <laughs> mm-hmm. totally <laughs> yeah and yet it's brought up like sort of like it's a happy ending and it all is forgiven I thought it was weird that it did end that way because there was so much what I thought reasonable and good tension around their relationship till like the, Amato said the final scene where it's like next day you're forgiven. Well, I think there was a lot that they had to talk out that they just didn't have space for at the end of the book. And they did there mm-hmm. was like a throwaway line at the end where um J name and J name were like we're going to have to sit down and have a talk about this and like yeah, you're right. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, um, there's one more plot point I want to talk about that has nothing to do with that, but I want you all to finish what you're going to say first, so please. <laughs> Amato? Uh, wait, was I going to say something? <laughs> I don't know, were you? I don't think so. Go on. Yeah, okay. go on. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on was, um, I forgot his name. But the rat who ended up killing Jenner in the movie and, like, saving Justin is in prison. I think it's, like, Simon or something. It's S-something, yeah. Yeah, it's S-something. Sidekick, I think. Anyway, he's the rat who, in the film, he sort of conspired with Jenner. He was kind of, like, being a tag-along. Like, Jenner was like, we're going to do this. We're going to drop the house. We're going to kill Nicodemus. And at the last moment, he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it, Jenner. And then after that, in the film, he not only tosses a sword to Justin to help him, like, fight off Jenner. He's actually the one who kills Jenner Mm -hmm. at the very end and, like, saves everybody. And yet he's still being imprisoned for conspiring with Jenner. I was like, what? Well, he tosses tosses a sword to um, Leading Man Rat at risk of being, like slashed across the chest which yeah. is what was immediately happened so I kind of thought they were in the movie he was dead and I thought that too also yeah. yeah 
I'm, well, s- I'm still searching I, for the name. I kind of liked Tori on that note when Elizabeth meets him briefly and he's like, I'm, I'm really sorry about, you know, my role in like endangering your family as kind of like a pawn to, you know, get political power or whatever. Sullivan. Um, and then she talks to Justin about the situation and he's like, yeah, that was a really contentious issue. And it's like one of the first things we had to deal with as a community after Nicodemus died. And like, he has three years community service and like, that's what we decided on. And, you know, like he's in, imprisoned in the rest of the time and that kind of stuff. Here's the crazy. And she's, oh, go on. well, she has that line where she's like, are you sure you're not just punishing him because you cannot punish Jenner? And yeah. He's, he's kind of like, um, that seems to strike home quite a bit with him. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a weird ground because Sullivan did conspire to commit murder. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that, that, that was like, they immediately recanted and helped, but there was still that intent there and now it's and they had a yeah then they had a long time to sit on it it wasn't a, a spur of the moment decision to, to do it sure mm-hmm. but he not only in the film throws justin the sword and saves justin's life he's also the one who like throws a dagger very expertly and that dagger kills jenner and literally saves everyone he's yeah, like just that- like bam dagger throw jenner's dead no That's that was awesome. super <laughs> impressive that's something like a hero would do but that doesn't. And yet yeah, but Nicodemus is also yeah. dead and would not be yeah. if you know this guy had no, not gone along with this. Yeah, he uh, decided also, not to go along with it at the very end. Well, he he also just could have decided to tell somebody beforehand and have Jenner arrested way before it happened. You know, it's a good point. Right. There's still culpability just, there. He also saved way more people than like I get. I guess I get it. He's being punished. It's not a super severe punishment, uh, but that is like kind of a side plot line. And it's, it's just weird in the context of the film where it seems like not only in the film did he die, it seemed like he died, but also yeah. he redeemed himself <laughs> by saving everyone. So to have him come back and be imprisoned felt weird, but maybe it was the only way they could demonstrate their like punishment system. Oh yeah, we should talk about their political system. It's kind of weird. Well, I've actually, I was actually going to say we kind of need to start wrapping up. <laughs> No, no, no. Let's settle in for a big talk about politics. <laughs> I'm just going to say politics. that they're basically communists, <laughs> except they have, like, some other weird non-communist things, such as Justin being the leader. Yes. I mean, they're, they've got a lot of... It's all socialist in terms of, like, resources. And um, Justin says, like, mostly we can operate as a, you know, true democracy. Like, we get everybody in a room and make decisions. And he was saying, like, once our community gets big enough, that's probably going to stop being viable and we'll have to figure out what we want to do. But um, but he's trying to get that going for as long as possible. Yeah, they're doing it, something that, that works for them as a struggling community of, of, of about 300 people. Yeah, it's right. funny because they use the term democracy, but then they also use the direct phrase to each according to their needs, which is <laughs> a communist phrase, right? So yeah. I was like, I'm not sure what this author is going for, but... It was Everybody has agreed to give to everyone according to their needs. Right, which is communism. <laughs> From each according to their abilities to each according to their needs. Yeah, I'm familiar with the phrase. I'm just saying, like, they're deciding to do that because everybody got together in a room and decided to do it. And if they got together in a room and decided to do something different, they'd be doing something different. I guess that's so true. So it's, you know, it's a democracy that is currently very socialist. It's just weird. Yeah, it was it was a weird mix of political ideologies. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, let's wrap. The only thing I want to say about rat politics is that I do <laughs> like that as Justin, you know, in the role of leader, he gets to talk about how, like, yeah, Nicodemus was very wise and, like, you know, had all of these, like, great big ideas and, you know, <laughs> there's lots of things to respect about him. And here are the ways in which he was not a very good leader that I'm trying to, like, be better at. <laughs> they mentioned a couple times that, like, Nicodemus planned this... Uh, this place for them to live and all these things like farms and houses, but like they forgot like to include a lounge <laughs> or a place to right. like, like a 10 forward sort of place where it not recreation focused. Yeah. It didn't even occur to them. <laughs> and he also was not the kind of leader who mingled with the community and was like, so how are you, how are you doing no, Jeff? No, they, they uh, stayed in the dark and wrote with their magic ink and had glowing eyes and honed their, uh, magic missile. I, I don't know what you do. <laughs> Attack the darkness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rat wizard. Okay. I'm going to call this the end though. We need to finish up. What do you want to complain about in the story? I think the conceit of trying to bring Jonathan back to life was rough and kind of tainted a lot of the story. I, I understand why they did it. Um, and once you get past that initial idea, everything else about it, I'm okay with like the Nim storyline was great. I mm -hmm. liked how they talk about the relationship afterwards and like the conflict in the middle was brought some interesting, like romantic tension, but just that idea that they could have done better. Right. I don't know. Like Jonathan, it's easy to imagine a version of this story in which Jonathan Brisby was in fact dead and all of the bones would still work very well, and you just have to adjust a couple of the conflicts a little bit, and I probably would have been happier. But, like, it should have been something where... Cause, well, what they say in the movie? Jonathan died trying to poison Dragon. Like, Jonathan was injured somewhere, or, or even fuck, you know, like a amnesia story or something. That, that would have <laughs> been still cheesy, but it still would have been they're alive, and that's narratively acceptable. Oh, yeah, because then you wouldn't have to contend with how, like, everyone, like, Justin or Arthur was lying to Elizabeth the whole time. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they still could have had a secret. They could have been like, sure, we told everyone John Jonathan was dead, but we never found a body. <laughs> yeah. That could have been something. Yeah, I still, I'm still in the same boat of, like, I actually think the story could have existed without him coming back at all. So. I would have been okay with that. I liked what they did with it, but I would have been okay with a different direction. What I feel, and this is my criticism, is that it almost feels like a different story. Like I said, it veers to the left. So, hmm. I'd say my main complaint is the early part of the story, where there's a lot of tell-don't-show going on with kind of like what the characters have been going through and the character dynamics. And what's more, you kind of get it twice. You kind of get it from Elizabeth, and then you kind of get it from Justin, and they talk about several of the same things. And... Um, it feels like we get kind of the establishing of the kids and their relationships like a couple times early on. And it just starts kind of slow, and I had a little trouble getting into it. You get um, a lot of expository rats in there, a lot of minor characters that just come to explain something. Yeah, in the middle also. Yeah. It can get kind of bogged down. Although I do like the druid ability, summon expository rats. <laughs> <laughs> it could be pretty useful. Okay. Some in socialist rodents. <laughs> <laughs>
going to learn that as my next technique. Awesome. <laughs> Complaint story? Well, like I said, I pretty much covered mine. I even went on a, a long rant about the whole <laughs> Solomon is those same things. So S- Sullivan. Apologies for the rant, but I, th- I think I covered it. <laughs> so many rat names. Sorry, what was his name? Sullivan. Sullivan, thank you. I I would also accept, you know, Stooge Rat. <laughs> Start with you know, an S, it works. You know, Stooge Rat killed a uh, villain rat who was attacking a uh, leading man rat. Yes, mm-hmm. leading yeah. man rat might be my favorite turn of the day. <laughs> I can't. That's my new superhero, <laughs> leading man rat. <laughs> uh, it, I like that you don't know where it's partitioned. Like, is it leading man rat or is it leading man rat? <laughs> Or is it leading? Uh, I was definitely picturing no. it as adjective man rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leading man rat, as opposed to the secondary man rat. Or is it like... yeah, I guess that's more of a D&D monster, <laughs> a leading man rat. Or is it more like a Man verb? rat, comma, leading. <laughs> well, it's a rat that's fulfilling the leading man role. <laughs> or is it a man rat who's fulfilling the leading role? <laughs> no, because no, it's a very established movie trope of the leading man, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a man, both in species or in gender, to be the leading man, you know? Or maybe it's an alternate universe in which leading man rats are a common. Never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Things to praise. I think the thing that stands out to me most in this is kind of the dealing with softer or like less less outwardly conflict sort of emotions of the characters in ways that I don't often see in fiction, and that was, uh, for the most part, very well done. Things like insecurity or, like, kind of um, parenting struggles, but not, like, outward super dramatic struggles, just kind of, like, emotional struggles. I, I thought it was really cool that the author tackled a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I super enjoyed reading this. I mean... I enjoy my like boring RTS strategy games, and so I I really liked description of it, making a society work from scratch, trying to rebuild technology, rebuilding a, a societal structure, uh, figuring out how to farm was just is 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 fun for me. <laughs> Developing tech trees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I mean they were growing a, a rubber tree so they can make rubber, so they can make different. Yeah, you, know, you know it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with uh, both y'all on those points, and also just you know the characters were pretty true to the film in general, and it was nice that it I don't know it had a similar structure, like as weird as it was that the magic amulet came back in, it, it still it followed that sort of same structure. It was very true to the source, yeah. And then it also explored what the amulet like felt like for her. And it didn't seem untrue from the source, but it elaborated. And also it gave you more insight into, like, Mrs. Brisby. You can tell externally in the film that she's, like, this harried single mother. But now you get her internal thoughts. And even the children, their internal thoughts. I thought that was really well done. I did like a lot of the characterization. It seemed pretty true to the movie. Like, they were in a very small part of it, but uh, Comedy Crow was very similar to what they were in the movie. (laughs) Jeremy, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, they like pay attention to the fact that now he has a girlfriend because he got a girlfriend at the end of the movie. Like, I love that. 
Wasn't Jeremy the leader mm-hmm. of the rats? No, Justin is the leader of the rats. Oh, no, what's Jeremy's Mrs. Brisby's husband? Uh, no, was that Jonathan? There's <laughs> <laughs> also Jason. Uh. Oh. There's no Jason. Hold on. <laughs> Search Jason. Is there Jason? Oh, there's not a... No, no hey, results. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No Jason. <laughs> Y'all are way too easily confused by Jays. <laughs> Jays are confusing. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well... I think that wraps it up for our coverage. It's definitely a recommend. If that was a thing that we did at the end of these reviews, which we don't really, <laughs> then, you know, we would have some number of thumbs up, I think. Yeah, we glossed over a lot of details and experiences that r- happen in, the, in this story that really make it worth reading, I think. Yeah, I, I think yeah. a lot of that stuff is, like, personal character moments, especially for Brisby or Elizabeth. But anyway, good and story. Just like, just, like, little details, like... like uh, T- timothy getting glasses yeah timothy and glasses right. that was great oh and and wanting to learn <laughs> to play the guitar yeah and just yeah. explaining how moments how a rat optometrist that set up their office in the middle of a mountain would work <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. great stuff yeah all right well having made you read literally a novel <laughs> in a week for this episode next week i'm going to have mercy and have us read what you might call a ficlet a very short fanfic about 1,500 words. I, I th- and it will be... I think it's pronounced ficle, you know, like little... Because <laughs> it's small in French, right? I think it's pronounced yeah, ficle. That... <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it would be pronounced, but strangely correct. appeasing. Yeah. <laughs> For next episode, we will be reading the, the Screwtape Letters and Angel, the Joss Whedon TV show crossover fanfic a letter from Screwtape to Mr. Holland Manners. And I, I have confidence that we'll, you know, have enough to say about <laughs> Screwtape letters and Angel and all those sorts of things in general that we'll get a good discussion out of it. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash RFR letter. As for this, this was episode 90 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, The Rats of Thorn Valley by... Let me scroll back up there. Mm-hmm. Paul Gibbs. You can find a link there on the thornvalley.com fan site at bit.ly slash rfrrats. The intro song to this podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku, the artist, at... Uh, I didn't have it open. Loyaltyfreakmusic.com Thank you. Loyaltyfreakmusic.com You can find us at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or you can contact us in various ways as retrofanfic or fanfic retrospective on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Reddit. Um, or you can contact us by email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can also leave comments or reviews on whatever podcast service you use. And by all means, get in touch with us if you have things to say about fan fiction or recommendations or Don Bluth or Rockadoodle. <laughs> you know, we need to talk about that. Uh, yeah, Amato, you're going to have to cover all the Rockadoodle stuff, I think. I mean, maybe it wasn't bad. Maybe it wasn't bad. Maybe I just think it was bad. I should. I'm going to look it up tonight and find out. <laughs> okay.
I mean, the animation was good, I think. If we're talking about bad Don Bluth stuff, I have a whole treatise on Titan AE, so... <laughs> okay. Talk about that for a while. Maybe we'll get to that, too. Yeah, it's terrible. I love Titan AE. That, that's fine, but it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is terrible, but I still yeah. love it. Okay. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other and build up our underground community. <laughs> Until next time, take care. Bye. I mean, I know. I, I was a kid when I watched it too. But yeah. Watch it again as an adult. There's so much, so much problems. So much many problems. <laughs> I just want to watch it.